Welcome to the Swim Swim Breakdown. As always, I'm your host, Coleman Hodges. I am joined by Braden Keith, Swim Swim Editor-in-Chief, and Loretta Race, Senior International Reporter for Swim Swim. We got a lot of news. It was a busy Tuesday. I don't know about you guys, but I was not prepared for this. <laughs> We're always prepared, Coleman. We are. Yes. <laughs> I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but let's 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 dive right in. Uh, we've got three big athletes headed to Tempe in the form of Reagan Smith, Chase Kalish, and Jay Litherland. Uh, Reagan Smith is headed to train with Bob Bowman at Arizona State after just one year at Stanford under Greg Meehan, while Chase Kalish and Jay Litherland uh, <clears throat> are coming from Athens, Georgia, where Jack Bowerly recently retired as head coach. Uh, so first off, Bowman's pro group is getting a lot bigger now. Um, we've seen Bowman handle, you know, big pro groups in the past, but this will be his first really sizable pro group at ASU. Uh, how do you think it will fare moving forward? You know, I think it's, it, this is going to sound, sound kind of weird to say because Bob Bowman will always be remembered as Michael Phelps' coach. doesn't matter what else he does as a coach. That's what he will always be remembered as. But in my mind, this will be the, what's the word, the most impressive thing he does as a coach if he pulls this group off. When you look at all of the moving parts here, right, he's got Leon Marchand trying to train him for a home Olympic Games in France as possibly the, the next best swimmer in the world. He's now got this growing pro group with sprinters, with IMers, with men, with women, with all the things. He's trying to build a legacy at a college program that historically has not been a top five program. He's trying to turn them into an ironclad top five program. And he's well on the way to that. Um, and there's a good chance he's going to lose his his top sprint coach in, the, in sometime between now and Paris and have to move on from there, because I think a lot of people think that that Herbie Baim is kind of a big part of the secret sauce of what's going on at Arizona State right now. And, and I have a hard time believing he's going to be there a whole lot longer. So, like, when you look at all of these moving parts together this will be the hardest and most impressive thing that Bob Bowman has ever done. You know, when he was coaching Phelps, all he had to do was have success with Phelps because a lot of the other swimmers in his program group at NBAC didn't have a ton of success. When he was at Michigan, um, he was only doing the, was he, he was only doing the men, right? They were still separate teams then. Not, not sure on that one. Yeah. I, so it's, the pro group wasn't as big, he, you know, he wasn't there as long. So to me, this is, I, you know, how old is Bob Bowman? He's, he's, he's not going to be around. He's not gonna be coaching forever. Right. To me, this is his like big final act and it will either be his most impressive thing as a coach, his most impressive era as a coach to a, to a swimming specific audience or everybody's just going to forget it. And his most impressive thing will be Michael Phelps. And that's pretty good too. So it's kind of, he's kind of in a win-win situation, I guess. But to me, this is the, uh, the toughest thing he's had to do yet. I mean, so my question is, okay, are the swimmers going to Bowman or are they going to like Marshawn and like the, the Colt, you know what I mean? Like, are they going to like create this like enigma that's going to be these swimmers that are going to be this cohort of IM, like multi-stroke specialists? Okay. Or are they going specifically for Bowman? Because he's had Kazuke Hugino from Japan before. He's had Daniel Tranter from Australia before. You know, he had obviously Katie Hoff before. And not everyone has panned out when he's had multiple superstars in one place at one time. To me, they're going to the volume and the coaching style. There are not a lot of high-level coaches left who <clears throat> coach at this level. Um, I think Reagan probably thinks she wasn't getting enough volume at Stanford, even though she was better after her one year of Stanford than she was going into Stanford. And so I think she's probably going to Bowman for more volume. Um, I think Chase and Jay are going there because with Jack Bowerly's retirement, what, who, what's your other option? It's Florida, I guess, right? They still do a lot of volume. It's, and it's Arizona State. Those are your two options. And if you have to live in 
Tempe or Gainesville, I'm probably choosing Tempe. Um, but, you know, Gainesville is already really crowded in their program. We don't know that some of these swimmers didn't try to go to, to Gainesville and were told no. But um, I, to me, I think they're going for the coaching style. I think this is still – there are still people who feel like they need lots and lots of volume, and Bowman will give them as much volume as they want. And then... No, but that's, that's true because I, I did read, you know, Reagan's comments on exactly why, you know, at this point in time, she was making a shift and she said she was focused on her mental game. Now she's going to focus on her physical game. So that I think, yeah. you know, kind of falls in line with what you were just saying with Bowman's coaching style and the volume focus. I think, I think that's, I think that's still, maybe that'll change in the next generation, but I think that's still an instinct for a lot of people is, if I'm not seeing the results I want, I need to go somewhere where I can do more. And, and it's, I think, I don't think it's an unnatural response, right? Especially in this sport where we spend so much time telling people that it's all about how hard you work. It's all about how hard you work. You know, it's easy to, to come to the conclusion that four hours in the pool a day is better than three hours in the pool a day. You just need the right coach to push you to love that extra hour in the pool, I guess. But um I don't know. It's, it's interesting to me. I think, you know, there's, there's other things here, right? Like Cal doesn't take people in their pro, in their pro group. Generally, we know they took Hunter Armstrong, but they generally don't take people who aren't Cal alums. Virginia right now seems to be shutting down their pro group and focusing on the college stuff. Um, you know, a lot of swimmers flock to Georgia, but now if, if Georgia isn't Jack Bowerly, it's, it's Florida and Arizona state where, what are the other programs that will take post-grads from other places that are also producing Olympic medalists? Loughborough. <laughs> <laughs> Send our entire team to the UK to train. Wow. Yeah. I'm, I'm the most curious to see how the college team will do with such a big post-grad group, because before you had, I'm really curious as the if the format they had before will change where Ryan Held was training with Herbie and the sprinters and he, he was training with the college team. Olivia, I think, was doing a similar thing where she would train with Rachel part of the time and Bob part of the time and still train with the college group. But it's like with, you know, seven, eight plus pros, it's are they all training with the college team, which I think is what they did at Georgia and. I'm really unclear about the NCAA, how that works, but, um, they're all it, volunteer assistants. Coleman. Yeah. Um, <laughs> the, you know, it's a little, I think it, it's all in the devil's in the details of how you structure, right? Like this is totally feasible as long as everybody understands up front who they're training with and how much time they're going to get with Bob versus how much time they're going to get with Herbie or Rachel or whatever. And they're comfortable with that. Everybody can be happy. A lot of, these groups, I guess Indiana is the other option that's taking pros and turning out Olympic medalists that we didn't mention before. Um, but, you know, I think at Indiana, they usually have another coach who's affiliated with the club team and is primarily coaching the pros, which doesn't mean they don't sometimes overlap with the college kids, but that's, that's another way to accomplish it. You just bring in somebody else who probably not, they don't usually have the name recognition of a Bob Bowman or a Ray Luz or Anthony Nasty, but they're, they're just kind of there to manage the pros day to day, assign the workouts, monitor the workouts under the supervision of the head coach. And they build that relationship. And, and that's what of, the Texas men were doing for a while. Right. And yeah. so they, is that, they, is that kind of what the problem was with David Marsh at UC San Diego though? I mean, I thought that was part of the problem was he was so focused on his pro group. Yeah, that was a, well, it depends on who you ask. I okay. mean, arguably there was no problem at UC San Diego because the college <laughs> team was doing well. And uh, I guess the, the, maybe the problem was the pros weren't doing that well, Okay, uh, but that was a very different situation. That was a D2 team. Um, and, <clears throat> And anybody who went into that situation believing that Dave Marsh was there because he was passionate about Division II swimming, was deluded. I mean, it was a good setup for him. He liked being outside <laughs> in the sun in San Diego and coaching his pros in, in a dedicated pool space. So, like, that's, that's why that situation existed. 
so I guess we'll see how this goes. Uh, it's a lot of pros moving at one time. It's a big shift. Uh, I mean, we kind of saw this before in 2015 when Bob first moved to Tempe and he brought, you know, a, his a whole pro group there, which included Chase Kalish, Michael Phelps, David Nolan, some other guys. Uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm curious. Who? Allison Schmidt. Allison Schmidt. Uh, so I putting the focus on Reagan Smith though. Um, I am curious what makes this a success for her? Um, especially with, as we've seen in the past, when females leave college early, um, it doesn't always equate to best times, um, historically, uh, across the board, especially in long course meters. Um, so what do you think would be a success or what, what do you think would make this a success for Reagan? Oh, I, I think this is another part of what makes it hard. I think Reagan comes across to me as somebody who does well under the support system of a college team, uh, uh, you know, under the support system of a team, under the protections a university offers. Sometimes I think she and Chase has this problem too, at least publicly can exude some um, uh, dourness is maybe a word for it or some sulkiness. We've seen Chase's interviews where he wins a national title and is just angry about his time, whatever. Um, so to me, success for this whole experiment is about keeping their attitudes positive and figuring out how to get them in a structure that works for their personalities. Um, because, you know, now Reagan, what, what is it? Reagan Smith Enterprises LLC is now the entity, right? Like your name is now on the letterhead. And when it doesn't go well, you've made this choice to go train with Bob Bowman, right? Like you've, you've, you've made a very different kind of a choice. And so the, the weight of that decision could mean that the consequences fall on you for better or for worse. Um, so, you know, if there's a, if there's a transition period, it, you know, there's always a transition period when you change coaches. And so keeping everybody positive and happy during that transition period, obviously Bob knows how to work with Chase, right? Like they've been working together for 15 years or 20 years, however long it's been, it's been forever. Um, but, you know, Reagan's a, a new personality coming in there and Bob's going to have to figure out how to manage that. And Bob knows how to manage challenging personalities or different personalities, whatever the word is. And I, this is not like a, a negative about Reagan. It's just some people react differently to different things. Some people react differently to adversity, to disappointment, whatever. Um, and Bob's going to have to figure out how to manage that with a swimmer that has a lot of expectations, both internally and externally. You know, she, I think she expects a lot from herself and I think the public expects a lot from her. Um, so he's going to have to manage that. And, and, you know, what does success look like for her? I, it's got to be an Olympic gold, medal, an individual Olympic gold medal, right? She, she's exactly. got the rest of it. She's achieved the rest of it and she wasn't happy. Well, I don't know, happy, whatever, <laughs> whatever you want to say. She's achieved everything but the individual Olympic gold medal and she still decided to make a change. Right. So what could she be chasing besides an Olympic gold, individual <clears throat> Olympic gold medal? Um, and the I mean, backstrokes are going to be hard. The 200 exactly. fly is doable. Um, maybe she'll pick up an IM race. Her breaststroke is, is pretty weak right now, but not just a great athlete that's not necessarily unfixable but got to be individual olympic gold i don't know i don't know what else she'd be chasing right that, I mean, that was going to be my comment exactly I, I think that it's it's pretty simple i think that that's exactly what she's chasing and she's going to the program that she thinks is going to get her there and i feel i don't know if it's mental pressure if it's you know i, I don't exactly know what it is that her talent hasn't equaled what her potential on the podium is but if there was a time for her to make it, it would be 2024 Paris. So I feel like she's in her mind doing what she's going, um, what's going to put her in the best position to get her on top of the podium. So for me, it's, that's the simple, you know, hot take, what's going to make her successful is an individual gold medal, whether it's 200 back, 100 back, whether it's an IM, you know, fly, she's a Katie Hawk. She could do multiple, multiple events. Well, and that's, what's kind of funny about it, right. Is like, this is not a swimmer who's, externally we don't talk about Reagan Smith as a swimmer who 
is has all this potential and is flopping or is failing. Like we're talking about a swimmer who is one of the top eight women in the world, you know, whatever the number is, and is just like that close to putting it together, right? Like it's not like she she needs to chase a total overhaul of everything she's doing. She's just that close to putting it together. And she won the 100 backstroke world championship right. um, just a few months ago. Like, so this is, I think that's what, what made this so surprising to so many people is like, Reagan Smith is not a swimmer that we're seeing go like this and like, oh my God, what's she going to do to get her career back on track? She's a swimmer that's going kind of like this Mm. It just needs to get over that hill. Like she's, she's just that close to it. Um, and that could, that arguably that could create more pressure. Like if she goes to the 2023 world championships and doesn't win the hundred back, you know, we, we know she wasn't happy when we didn't pick her to win gold in the hundred back at the Olympics. Right. Like we know she wasn't happy about that. Cause she told us and like now that she's won a world championship in that event, if she doesn't again, doesn't win it again, how is she going to react to it? Um, and that was, and it's tough. That was my line of thinking too, is just, I, I hope if that, I would love to talk to Reagan to see what success for her looks like out of this move, because if it is Olympic gold, it's two years of just waiting, you know, of just seeing like, Oh, well, of, of comparing every, little thing that happens along the way to, oh, is this in line with winning Olympic gold or is it not? Um, so yeah, I don't, I, yeah, I hope, <laughs> I hope there are other forms of success that this move can take for her. And, uh, I'm obviously, uh, really excited to hopefully go film a practice there soon, but, uh, I'm sure... like a week to get it all. <laughs> <laughs> seriously. Uh, yeah, we'll, we'll be there for at least a couple workouts. Uh, this is all speculation. I don't know. <laughs> we haven't scheduled anything yet, but moving show on up. from ASU. Wait, what? Just show up one day. I mean, what are they going to do? Just show up. <laughs> yeah, there's no, there's hey, no walls on the facility. Just, <laughs> right. just, just the hop the fence. <laughs> <laughs> that is one of the nicest pools I think I've ever been to. So I, I get why anyone would want to go swim there. Uh, <laughs> Moving on from ASU, um, Reese Whitley announced that he's coming back for a fifth year at Cal, much to uh, my surprise, a lot of people's surprises. And this story got a lot of traction, I think partly because of Whitley, but partly also because uh, fifth years are just becoming more and more of a prevalent thing. We saw Cal take the NCAA title team title last year, uh, largely on the backs of their fifth year seniors, or I guess just fifth years. Um, and I'm wondering if from your perspective, obviously the NCA made their ruling and teams are, are playing or doing what they do inside of those rules. You know, it's like, it's legal for fifth years to come back, but do you feel like it's getting a little unfair at this point, um, for certain teams to have the fifth years or for these fifth years to come back and win more NCAA titles, especially for the classes of 2021 to 2024? I don't know. know. We, you know, we've, we've been a little more meticulous about documenting all the fifth years this year and a little more methodical about finding them. Um, We don't think we've heard them all yet because some schools are still like refusing to let us talk to the athletes. Um, But we've, we've documented more this year than we had last year, which I think was surprising to everybody because of the scholarship change. Like this year, they eat up a scholarship by coming back. Um, You know, Fairness is tricky. Fairness is always in the eye of the beholder. Um, it's not uncommon for swimmers to still be in school after their four years of eligibility, either finishing undergrad or, or starting a grad degree. So from that perspective, it's good. I would be annoyed if I was a freshman, sophomore, high school senior who's who's trying to get in on this. Um, the, the NC, you know, Bob, talking about Bob Bowman, this is, is in some circuitous way all Bob Bowman's fault, right? Because <laughs> people people forget that, like, the instinct of the public is that these fifth years were awarded to somehow make up for the, the, the crappy COVID season, right? But that was never the purpose. The purpose was to incentivize them to not skip the crappy COVID season, 
Um, so like if you're telling them in, in summer 2021, oh, you're going to have this fifth year if you just promise to swim this year, it wouldn't be fair to, to stop either, right? Like that was the carrot to get all of these teams and these athletes to not just stay home and train. Um, so like fairness to the, the high school seniors, yeah, I can see that argument. Fairness to the, the kids who stuck it out through the difficult season, I can see that argument too. So, you know, fairness, fairness comes from a lot of directions and, and whatever it's, it is where we, where it is. It gives us all something exciting to talk about. People love college swimming people love bickering about college swimming. So I think it's, I think it's a net good for the sport. NCAAs were super exciting last year with the fifth year. I mean, okay. I can see that point of view, but I'm also seeing the point of view that it's like, life's unfair. You're not always going to get something that, you know, makes it right or, you know, rectifies a situation for you. So I feel like this is almost like the NCAA is like, you know, cushioning these athletes and like making it okay for them to have this fifth year when it's really like, you know what, life sucks sometimes and you got to just move on and, and not be coddled. I'm sorry. Yeah. That's- but you know, the, it, by the same perspective, the athletes coddled the NCAA by swimming in a year where they didn't want to, right? Like, the athletes Nobody did the NCAA Did the athletes not want to swim? No. <laughs> I think I think if they hadn't come out with this, we would have seen more teams not swim that season, the 2020-2021 season. I think I, That's I, true. I honestly believe that more teams would have done what Arizona State did. Um, so you know, it's again, everything is a two-way road and From their perspective, this is not about fairness, right? Like they made a deal with the NCAA or a deal was made with the NCAA. Swim this year and we'll give you another one at the end. So like to me, that's contractual as much as is fairness. It's it's an obligation. Hmm. 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 I don't know. I think it's fun. I like it. You would. There you I don't go. want it to stay forever because it's it's such, it's kind of like a headache for reporting, you know. Yeah, at this point, it is getting it to me. It is getting a little tedious, but uh, well, the the angle to me that's interesting is the fifth years who are transferring, especially the mid major stars. They finish out their degree. They feel yeah. like they've done their duty to the school they did their undergrad at. They've given them the four years they promised them, and then they transfer to a big big school. Uh, to me, that's sort of the most interesting part of this, at, you know, as compared to just Reese Whitley hanging around at Cal for an extra year or whoever else. Doesn't that kind of like violate yeah. the contractual Minnesota. thing that you just talked about? <laughs> but their deal was with the NCAA, not with their schools. Oh. Honestly, I would love it if that just became a normal thing. Like you can have four years of eligibility at one school. And then if you get a master's somewhere else, you can have another year at that school <laughs> chaos i think that would we be always awesome. root for chaos at swim <laughs> you get to write those up coleman <laughs> <laughs> okay never mind i take it back <laughs> um all right moving from college to high school uh i talked to katie grimes recently and it's generated a, a lot more hubbub than I would have thought. But she did say that her and her coach, Ron Aiken of the Sandpipers of Nevada, did decide that she would not be fully tapering until 2024, which, what does that even mean? People get, <laughs> this word is so divisive, right? Um, <clears throat> but the question here is, uh, is this a good tactic? For, for a two-year cycle when you're looking at the 2024 Paris Olympics? Is actually not fully tapering a good tactic? No, definitely not. But I also don't think this is what's really happening. Like, I don't think we understand enough about taper. Who is it? Eddie Reese is famous for basically saying he has no idea what he's doing when he's tapering. And <laughs> one year, you might just hold him out of the pool for two weeks for taper. Like, I... <laughs> We don't know what we're doing with taper. So this idea that you have the ability to like almost come up to the brink of fully tapering, but not fully tapering sort of implies that we, that anybody is that good at tapering. And I just don't think anybody, I mean, you know, Ron has had as much success with his taper as anybody in the world. 
but he's also changing it, right? Like it's, it's back to, it's like what we were talking about with Reagan, like your swimmers are doing so well and then you changed it anyway. And so like, if you're, if you're having success and you change it anyway, the whole, well, he knows what he's doing thing almost goes out the window because he's doing something different. So as good as he got at doing it the way they were doing it, is he going to be as good at doing it the new way? I don't know. I guess we'll find out. Um, but I think a lot of this is psychological, especially when you're working with teenagers, um, <clears throat> teenagers who know, can sometimes know enough to be dangerous, but not enough to really know what's going on. And, and, and you can kind of tell them whatever you want, right? Like the famous example is the fast stopwatch. If you stop their, their split three tenths early, they're going to go tell their friends that they were splitting you know, 19 ones in practice. Um, and their friends are going to say, Oh, you're amazing. You're going to go at 18 five when you're tapered. Um, and so like any coach who's ever been a good coach has told a little white lie about their training to his athletes, his or her athletes. Like I, I guarantee you that every swim coach on earth has told little white lies about training to their athletes. So maybe this is some of that, Maybe they'll learn something new. Maybe they don't need to full taper or maybe full taper means something different than they thought it meant. Um, but I just keep going back to like, because the, the side conversations that are happening about this and somebody who's very knowledgeable about the Sandpipers training keeps popping up in the comments to explain what they actually mean. We can, I, I'll give you five guesses who it is and I'm sure one of them will be right. Um, and they're like, oh, it doesn't mean she's not going to rest. It just means she's, She's not going to fully taper. And I'm just kind of like, yeah, whatever. Um, yeah. I mean, for me, for me, there's two points. I think one is what you hit, what you hit on the head is that it's almost insulating her. So in the, in the sense that if she has like a less than par, you know, performance or something's not up to what they were expecting, they can kind of attribute it to not being fully tapered. So I think that's part of it. But I also think part of it from a fan perspective is, is kind of what's wrong with swimming is like, okay, if I'm a Katie Grimes fan, if I go to a meet, okay, she's not going to be on the ball. She's not going to throw it on a fast time for like two years. So you, when you go to like an NBA game or, you know, any other professional sport, your athlete is going to be on their, on their a game the entire time, going to be trying to score as many points, whatever. And now you're saying, you know, my favorite swimmer, if she's Katie Grimes, isn't going to like do anything fantastic for two years. You know, so from a fan perspective, that kind of sucks. Yeah. Well, and it also begs, I, I thought, I thought swimming was going in the opposite direction, right? Like I thought everybody had figured out that little drop tapers more often wound up being better. Yeah. Like did, yeah. didn't yeah. it feel like that was the direction we were going for a while? Yeah. It yeah. did. Both well, the US well and, and then coincidentally the ISL left and people started going back to, <laughs> oh, all that matters is the Olympics. Um, sometimes I hate swimming. I know. Yeah. I mean, it, it, it did. It, it felt like the culture was changing and I'm with, I agree that I think this is more of a mental thing. And I think to me, what Katie was really was emphasizing is that like her focus is on the Olympics and that next year she will, you know, try to make the world championship team. She will try her best at world championships, but, but you know, it won't be the end all be all for her. That will be the Olympic games the following year. Um, Which I think that- is like a healthy mindset in some respect. Like it's, it's healthy to say, Oh, I'm not going to, I'm not going to lose my mind. If I have a bad world championship in 23, I'm not going to lose my mind. If I have a bad world championship in 24, but if you get to the end of the road and you've said, the only reason I had that mindset about worlds in 2023 was because all I cared about is the Olympics and then the Olympics don't go well. That's a mm-hmm. big crash at the end of that road. Which is true, which uh, I am confident Ron knows how to handle that as well. I mean, I think he's been working. Will she still with... be there in Paris? Mm-hmm. Yeah, she'll. that will be after her senior year of high school. Okay. Yeah. So, I mean, that, that timing couldn't have worked out any better for that situation. So we're going to stay on Paris and (laughs) we're going to the opposite of everyone leaving to go join a pro group. Uh, Spoke with Ariane Titmus after the comm games. She said she's more motivated than Tokyo. Um, I'm wondering if from your perspective, 
has she hit her peaks in terms of best times? And do you see her repeating as 200 and 400 Olympic champion in Paris under the same coach she's been with for forever, Dean Boxall? I get kind of annoyed by swimmers who put so much pressure on themselves and then turn around and blame the media for the pressure they feel. <laughs> you know, it's, it reminds me of Caleb Dressel's last Instagram post before the world championships where can't shouldn't be in your vocabulary. And like, that's when he cut, whenever he talks about whatever happened, he will take the complete opposite tact of that. Right. So like these platitudes that athletes give themselves to me is a big part of the pressure. And, and I just, <clears throat> I feel like they're talking out of both sides of their mouth sometimes. Um, in terms of whether I think she's peaked in her times, uh, I don't know. <laughs> I feel no. like she can be better in the 200. I think she can be better in the 200. I don't know if she'll get better in the 400. She can shave. Okay. I'm not talking seconds upon seconds, but I think she could definitely lower her own 400 free world record. I think getting that world record was like this huge mountain she had to climb. And so now it's just chipping away at those hundreds and tents. And I honestly think she'll get there. The 200 free, I totally agree with you. I think that that is going to be a world record for her eventually. I, I honestly think it's going to be Paris. Um, and like, when we watch some of the videos from Dean Boxall, it's, it's so hilarious how he trains her. It's like, literally like, okay, now you're chasing Lodecki on like the final lap. And like, he all, you know, he puts all these mindsets in, you know, the, these different situations in place. And so I feel like, you know, she's going to have all these different scenarios in her head. And that is what makes him and her, like their relationship so unique. And so I don't think they've peaked yet. I mean, she's young. What is she 21? I mean, she's young. But do you think, um, do you think now that she's beaten Ledecky, uh, do you think, as you said, I, I, I feel like beating Ledecky was a giant motivator for her. Mm -hmm. Um, do you think now that she's beaten Ledecky, that's why, that's why I kind of, I don't want to say roll my eyes, but I'm kind of <laughs> shrug at, I'm more motivated. I'm more focused. Like it felt to me, the narrative that we were all given is that, her drive came from wanting to beat Ledecky. Um, who, well, who, what's going to drive her motivation for Paris? I mean, I do agree that that was her, her driving. I'm with you, but at the same time, it's like, well, she broke a world record, Katie Ledecky's world record, you know, three months ago or how, how, whenever it was, it's like, obviously she has some kind of something motivating her now. Yeah, after she beat her at the yeah, 2019 World Championships. So, yeah, so she had beaten her <clears throat> two, three years ago, and she still, you know, broke the Well, record. the 2019 Worlds was a different case, right? Like, she knows that Ledecky was sick at that meet. Sick. Well, and it's I think it's different beating no, someone on a world really stage than an Olympic stage, right? I mean, it's like, yeah. if you beat someone at the Olympics, that's what people remember. Sure, I didn't, you sure. know, I'm not going to remember she beat. Katie in 2019, unless I'm reminded, honestly. I'm well, I'm only gonna remember it because we all know Katie was sick there. Okay. I mean, Katie, Katie Ledecky doesn't have that off of a meet without being sick. Um she can take yeah. six weeks off and swim I, faster than that. I mean, it does seem like Ariarn can definitely go best time still, especially in that 200, 1530. It doesn't doesn't feel like it, it's all she has. Uh, I, but, but summer Macintosh, we never, we never feel like they're peaked, right? Like we always <laughs> feel like they're going to be more there. They've got more. It's that, that toxic positivity, Coleman. That's true. <laughs> which you just had. <laughs> no, I was, I was measured positivity. Uh, I, I don't see her repeating both Olympic titles though. I think summer Macintosh hey. is on the rise. Uh, I do think I am a little skeptical about the Canadian coaching situation, but regardless, summer's going to be 17, 18 in Paris. And I think in those events, she's going to be primed to take I the think crown. She's move to Spain and train with Ben Tilly. <laughs> that's, that's my conspiracy that's theory. And, and I'm trying to get Ben to tell me that it's happening and he's being coy. 
Ben is always coy, so ben is we can't read coy. too much into it. Ben is Ben Titley, for people who don't know him, is the king of coy. Um, so I still think that's happening. I think he wants to get his feet wet there, get in good with the locals, make sure everybody's happy, and then he's going to bring a couple of his friends over with him. Which, I mean, where would you rather train? Snowy Canada or sunny Spain? <laughs> you know, it's like, I feel like that could only bring positive positive things for yeah. summer i don't know maybe when you're 16 though being being close to home with your parents probably feels good yeah, yeah probably yeah. but you know i don't i don't know that's our news for the week on that note let's play some sink or swim Oh, it's my favorite game. God, I love this game. We need to come out with like a board game edition of Sink or Swim. (laughs) Or a card game, like apples to apples. (laughs) All right. First up today on Sink or Swim, David Popovich, Chlorine Daddy, announced, well, I don't know if he he didn't announce anything, but we saw the psych sheets for the 2022 European Championships. He is not swimming the 50 free. He is entered in the 400 freestyle if he swims it, which I don't see why I wouldn't, but people do weird stuff. Will he medal? I'm going to sink it just because the best 400 freestylers in the world, for the most part, are in Europe. So it's a a challenging (laughs) field. Um, I think he's going to have his hands full in the 100 free with Christophe Malak. I think that's going to be more than people think it's going to be. Malak has been telling people he's focusing on the sprint freeze. I think dropping the 50 for the 400 is is a good move um, because I don't think David's ever going to be big enough to compete with the 50 guys just on a pure physics scale. Maybe in a time trial he can be fast enough. I don't think he can ever get through the wake of the 50 free. Um, so I think it's, I think it's a good move, but I think he'll be a hundred freestyler, 200 freestyler going forward. I think he'll be fast. I think he'll do something that's going to impress us that he can go 47, whatever in the hundred free and three forty three in the 400, you know, whatever the number is, I think it'll be fast and impress us. Um, but I don't think he's going to battle just because the field is too good. Yeah, I've said forever that his arms are way too long for a 50. Like, it literally takes him too long to get out of the water for that much of a spinning type situation. So I'm with you. I'm glad that he's going to the 400, but I am sinking it. His best time, yes, okay, it's from like three years ago, is 358, okay? And we're talking like it has to be like a 344, 345. That's a hell of a lot of time to drop. Not saying he can't do it, but for him to meddle this time around, I'm sinking it. Uh, interesting. I'm swimming it. I am toxically positive, but (laughs) let's see the Europeans. So we've got Felix Albach, who's been 343. And is swimming very well. (laughs) You've got Lucas. He did get fourth at Worlds, but he is swimming very well. You've got Lucas Martins, who's been, who's been 341, but was 342.8 at Worlds to get second. Uh, and then had COVID shortly after, but he says he's fine. <laughs> Marco De Tullio was in the final as well of Italy, three forty four one in finals. In front of a home crowd. Uh, he will be swimming in front of a home crowd. So, in Italy, the, has another guy who was three forty five at fifteen swimming in front of a home crowd. Lorenzo Galosi. Yeah. Oh gosh, uh, yeah, that dude. Is he swimming that? Is he actually, is he entered in it? Not sure. Interesting. And the 400 free is on the last day of competition, uh, which I think is relevant. But if if Popovich. Third taper meet of the summer. True, true, true. If Popovich decides to swim it, he could be out in 147 so easily. 148, let's say 148, back in a 154. For a 344, I think that gets him on the podium. Uh, so if he swims it, I think he medals. I think he finishes fourth. I think Italy is making this their focus <clears throat> meet of the year. Mm-hmm. Like, I think they're focusing on this over the world. They haven't made as big of a deal of it as, like, the Australians mm-hmm. have. I, know. I, I mean, Italy did world. really well at Worlds. They did. Like, but really I, well. I think if anything, I think David might... 
I, I think he'll establish kind of a baseline. Like, I think he wants to like see what he's going to throw down with other elite talent. So I think honestly, this is kind of like his, like I said, his baseline. And then I'll kind of go from there and determine, is this the and event? It's a good training event for exactly. 200. Right, right, right. Exactly. Agreed. All right. Uh, next up, Willard Lamb, 99 years old. He broke the 100 to 104 1500 freestyle masters record. He was in that age group because he turns 100 this year. Sink or swim, this record will go down within the next 100 years. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I don't know, man. The average U.S. life expectancy is dropping, so it won't be an American if it happens. There's not as many hundred-year-old Americans as there used to be. Jeez. Crushed some records. I'm going to swim that it's going down, and here's why. Because American adults are more active than they've ever been. And I think you're going to see more people swimming masters into their 70s, 80s, 90s. And if they make it that long, their hundreds. Um, God, I feel so morbid right now. Um, but like, I, I just think and with more active adults, they, you know, you see it on the pickleball courts. we got to bring up pickleball on this podcast as often as we can. Gotta. But like, I, I lost to a tournament last year to like a 75 year old dude. And he's like yeah. the best 75 year old pickleball player in the country, but he was really good. But at some point he won't be able to play as much pickleball <laughs> and what's the next thing? The next logical thing. He's not going to turn into a runner. He's not going to turn into a cyclist. He's going to break go some records like that. <laughs> I'm swimming it too. I do, I think that it is. It's it's almost like it's it's like a, a contagion. You know what I mean? Now someone, some you know, 99 year old is going to hear, hey, this person hit this time, and like that's going to like you know what I mean? Spur that person on for the next year or two years. So I totally am swimming it as well. Not for the pickleball reason yeah. though. <laughs> It's it's the the orthopedist um, racket is is pushing all of this because the more adults you get into sports, the more money for the orthopedist is when they destroy their hips and knees and shoulders. Oh, we're swimming. Maybe shoulders. You're training for the fifteen hundred. That's a lot. Maybe. Of guys. Uh, aside from himself, if he decides to swim it again, he was holding three minute mile or sorry, three minute hundreds, three minute hundreds. Uh, I don't see it. I think Willard, he told me himself, he has 22 pounds of medals. He's a once in a generation talent. Oh, and I don't see it. I don't see another hundred to 104 year old coming along at the meet. Like I think he broke the 200 back world record by like 15 seconds or something ridiculous. Oh my gosh. Exactly. I don't don't think it's going to happen once in a generation. I look, I think Willard wink lamb. I don't think he's, goat i think he is the pioneer i view willard as the the pioneer who sets off the the i don't even know what's what's after a septuagenarian the the centuryagenarian swimming (laughs) revolution well only time will tell (laughs) records are made to be broken on the opposite end of the spectrum 12 year old audrey Deravo at the U.S. Junior Nationals, broke her first national age group record in the 100 fly. She will be, uh, if my math is correct, 14 at the 2024 Olympic trials in Indianapolis. Do you think that she will make a final in Indy? Swim, easy. She swims terrible events that people don't like racing. There will be an opportunity. She's super, super good. Swim, easiest sink or swim we've ever done. Okay, swimming because I don't want Braden to come down on me with Braden Wrath. So, <laughs> no, I'm sinking it. <laughs> well, then you you think everybody's going to do everything in swimming, and the <laughs> one you can't come around on is this 12 year old girl. The where you Should draw be... the line on your toxic positivity is with a 12 year old girl. She'll be 14 and swim the hundred fly. Ooh. No, but what about the 200 fly? She had a good 200 fly. She had a good See, that, that event is so deep in our country right now. It's, it's deep, but it's not good. What? What did she go on the 200 fly? 212? 216. She went 216. Yeah. 
right? So yeah, but she's here? 12. She's got two years. Uh, she'd have to drop to make the final, I say, seven seconds, which is totally plausible. But I don't know, man. That's that's a lot of time to drop. What about the 4 a.m.? I think she can get down to 4.40 in the 4 a.m. Whatever. I'm, I'm done talking about this. It's a <laughs> All right. Uh, Commonwealth Games happened. We haven't talked about those much. Uh, Adam Peaty and Emma McKeon both mentioned in the media at various points in the meet that this would be their last Commonwealth Games. Do you sink or swim that this will indeed be both of their last Com Games? It's like you're asking us to tell them that they're lying. Um, I'm going to sink it because I think think i think emma's gonna want to stick around and swim the 2026 commonwealth games are in australia and i think there's going to be too much pull for her to stick around and retire after the 2026 commonwealth games have that be her last meet i think there's no chance pd's gonna do it like i think if he's still swimming then he's just gonna say no i don't want to do it and go swim somewhere else or whatever um but i think emma I think Emma will stick around and, and this will be her swan song, even if it's just a relay. I think that'll be I her mean, last meet. I'm swimming it. I, I, I do think this Commonwealth Games was her last and as well as PD's last. I think, I mean, McKeon already just became the most decorated Australian at a Commonwealth Games, like ever hugely, you know, totally beat, you know, everybody else in the, in the, uh, in the stats. And then Petey is going to have another kid. He's going to do Paris. Like that's going to be his shtick. So I, I'm swimming it. They're neither of them are going to be in 2026. Is Petey pregnant again? <laughs> I mean, not Petey, but you know, Petey's significant other. I don't know. <clears throat> They're in Greece right now on vacation. <laughs> um, I, I mean. But couldn't couldn't Emma take the pressure off herself and go through Paris as she is now and then be like, I'm just gonna be a 500 freestyler. I'm gonna be here for the relays. I'm gonna drop all the other stuff. Still training. I mean, you know what I mean? That still having swimming be like a huge part of your life. It's like, don't you want to kind of just shut the door like I'm immortal, let me live, you know? <laughs> I mean, yeah, but like I chose to do that when I was 17 because I hated it. So <laughs> she made it this long, she can go two more years. Yeah, that's the thing. It's like I so I'm sinking it because why would they quit? Like, if you're so that good at what you do, I know you would want to break. But Commonwealth is two years after the Olympics. You can take a huge long break, and then they could both come back and swim fifties and relays and make a ton of money. And yeah, make it like a summer league. Do that much. Make it Seriously. like a summer league. Like I do not see why why they would retire after that. Again, they're both huge stars, but especially Adam Peaty, I think he's going to do the Michael Jordan thing. I think he'll retire for a little while and then he'll come back and he'll swim well because he could like do it at 80% and still beat everyone. No one is even remotely close to him in either of his events. You know what the good news is guys? What? All of our Australian listeners will have tuned out when we spent the first half of the podcast talking about college swimming, so they're not going to get to this part. So we're not going to have to listen to the fallout of this conversation. Oh my gosh! <laughs> you know, Peter's going to make too much money off his clinics. He's he wants to be this immortal dude, so he's not going to mess that up by like potentially not winning again in 2026. He's not doing it. So sorry, Coleman. <laughs> All my sinker swims are wrong today. <clears throat> yes, they are. Usually are. Uh, <laughs> do a sink or swim scoreboard, just like a special that, episode. Really going that would be yeah. awesome. All right, last up on sink or swim. This is a personal sink or swim. We're we're still on com games. Uh, for you, who is a swim of the meet and who is a sink of the meet? Who surprised you the most, or, or who are you most pleased with, and who was maybe your biggest letdown? or someone who underperformed your personal expectations. Loretta, this is your world. I'm going to let you go first. All right. So I identified Brody Williams as my breakout star of Commonwealth Games, and he did me proud. He did the 200 back. On this show. Yes, he did. He did get the gold. 156.4. Very, very solid time. So he was my. Yeah, you didn't draft him. (laughs) 
Um, no, I didn't. Plus, you want to win. <laughs> and by the way, Brayden, you beat me by two points. That was it. Two I beat you by two points with PD oh. and. <clears throat> Oh my, I can't wait for the next draft. Okay. Anyway, my letdown on the subject of PD, I was very, I didn't think he was going to throw down like a 56, 57, like anything monumental like that, but I thought he would at least get on the podium. So for him to get fourth, honestly, that was a letdown for me. I mean, even PD on like his B, C game typically can at least get a bronze. So I was surprised by that. Yeah, that, that was a bummer especially for Braden, who I can't even, he won, so it doesn't matter. <laughs> but, uh, oh, are you going now? I'm going. I'm ready. Okay. Now I am. Um, <laughs> my star performer is Lara Van Niekirk, um, coming out of South Africa, where in 2016, their women's swimming program was basically dead in the water. And now they have two women, two different women on the top of the podium at the Commonwealth Games, could be world champions next year. Um, I just think that's thrilling to see. Uh, I think the letdown was, uh, I always get the two guys mixed up. Um, my letdown has to be Daniel Jervis. I think he was like a clear and away oh, favorite yeah. in the 1500 free. He wound up scratching it. We know he had some health issues and that was the cause. Um but that was that was the most disappointing to me because he seemed like coming into the meet, he was a strong favorite for at least one gold and multiple medals, um, and it didn't work out that way. Mm-hmm. That and was a bummer. And, I won and he was on your team. <laughs> yeah, both my both my people were coincidentally on my team. Uh, Lewis Clairbert. Lewis <laughs> Clairbert was definitely my swim. He yeah. won won the four IM, which I had hoped for, but you know I think that was kind of anticipated, and understandable. But he also won the two hundred fly, uh, big, yeah. and and uh, medaled in the two IM. So he had a fantastic meet overall. And uh, my sink of the meet, my, my biggest disappointment was Freya Anderson. Um, she was just always right there, but never on that podium. I'm just, I'm honestly, I'm just bummed for her. She was fifth in the hundred, fourth in the 200 freestyles. Um, so it's like, she helped out England's relays a lot, but it's just right there, but not quite on the podium. Guys, I'm going to change my sink. Daniel's off the hook. My sink is Ben Dornan. His (laughs) performance was the most disappointing to me. Again, he created the game. He set up the draft. He drew the names and he was at the meet. That's true. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> when we when we create a trophy for these little competitions, we need to call it the Ben Dorian trophy <laughs> to honor his contributions. To- <laughs> oh, and with that, that is our week's news and swimming. Tune in every week to the swim swim breakdown for your week's news in swimming.